0: I want you to take your Bible and go to John chapter 6 this morning, please. John chapter 6. If you did not get the notes, we have the handouts. If you need one of those, uh, raise your hand. The guys will make sure you get one. If you want to go online at parkwaybaptist.org, you can find the notes digitally. and You can add your thoughts to it and then email it to yourself uh, there at the end. So John chapter number 6, today we're going to begin a whole new sermon series. I know the book of the Bible we're headed to, so that's good. And we're going to go to the book of John just this morning, because for the next four weeks we're going to do a series entitled, A Big Deal. We're going to be looking at small things in God's Word that He uses to make something a big deal. Now, your mind can go 100 miles per hour here in the next few moments, and you can think of some things that you're saying, oh man, there's a lot of small things in the Bible that God used. There's a lot of things that this could be that God uses to accomplish. And, uh, and, the, and the cards that we have this morning, we reminded all of us that these are just merely tools that are used uh, for us to, to, to accomplish God's greater work. One in and of themselves will not accomplish it. But when God takes our small, our insignificant, and combines it with his work, he accomplishes a really big deal. And we're thankful for that. And as we think of our little, um, we can think then that our little will become much. And what we see today in the text is that our God is really good at using the small to accomplish the big. And I want you to look with me in John chapter 6, verse number 1. He says, "'After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with the disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh, it was near at hand. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, and he saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, "'Whence shall we buy bread, that these may eat?' And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, well, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, hmm, make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down and numbered about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Now gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost." Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. This morning we launch our new series, A Big Deal, with a sermon I've entitled, Among So Many. Let's pray. Father, as we tackle this text this morning... I know that you have something you want to teach us. I know there's something that you want to use to shape us. And so, Father, I'm going to ask you to lead us in this text and that you would calm our hearts and our spirits. I pray that if there's anybody here today who has even doubts in their mind about this Jesus, this relationship, this personal encounter with Jesus, that today would be that day. All across the room, I know that there are, uh, there, are, there are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. And so today, I would ask that our hearts would be open, that we would be moldable to your truths. So lead us in the direction you would have for us today, in Jesus' name, amen. So this incredible story and miracle that we read here in John chapter 6 is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four Gospels kind of help build, a, build the story for us if we would take time to read all four encounters. Now, I love reading the account from all of them, but only John gives the details of where the resource of the bread and fish come from, which play a really crucial part in the study of this miracle. All four writers help set the stage because we know that in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus has just heard the tragic news of John the Baptist being unjustly beheaded. And Jesus finds this tragic news and he wants to go off by himself and be alone for a little while. Then the Gospel of Mark and the writings tell us there that the 12 disciples had just returned from their mission trip, their mission journey where they went and they preached the gospel, they healed the diseased, and they also would pray in the name of Jesus Christ. They have returned and have so much to tell Jesus. And, And so Jesus is now going through these transitions of mourning over the news of John the Baptist, excitement to hear the report from the disciples and their missionary trips And now we find here that even all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell us that Jesus and the disciples get into a boat to get away to a deserted place so that they can be alone, just the 13 of them, to have conversation and laugh together, be refreshed, and Jesus can teach them and pour into them. So that's what builds all into what is happening here in John chapter 6. My favorite account of this story is found here in John because he points out some of the little details to this very big story. Like in verse number 1, notice that they were on the Sea of Galilee headed to the other side of the sea. The Bible even calls it the Sea of Tiberias, which would have been the name that was given a century later that it would be called often by. And then in verse number 2, there's the, the great multitude that followed him and the disciples. When they saw Jesus and the disciples get into the boat to go to the other side, many of them would get in their own boats and race to the other side, or they would even run around the land to be able to try to beat them and uh, to their final destination. Verse number three, as Jesus broke away for a little while to be with his disciples, he spent time with them. Something that is crucial for us to remember about how Jesus was mentoring, Jesus was pouring into these men. These were close relationships, always tying together as he encountered this opportunity to build. And then in verse number four, we find here a little detail that's important for us to kind of set the scene is that the Passover feast was coming soon. And the Passover feast was when the Jews would commemorate the the return or the, the exiting of Egypt and they would remember the deliverance that Moses had as he led them out. And they were looking for the prophet that would come and be the next deliverer for the Jews. So they were looking for this Messiah, they were looking for this prophet, they were looking for someone to come to deliver them out of this this, uh, rule under the Roman Empire to free them from this, who would come and take the throne and become their next king. And so they were constantly always looking for that and this would have been a time even in the Jewish calendar where they are very much thinking about the next prophet, the next Messiah, the next king. Who would that be to rescue them? So now the transition from verse 4 to verse number 5, it's important to the overall story. Because though in the Gospel of John we find an abrupt transition, what happens here is what movi- what would have been that motivated Jesus to break away from his disciples what was it that took Jesus away from, from pouring into them, being alone for a little while, to hear their stories, to laugh together, and then for Jesus to teach them what compelled him to break away from that and to be in the setting of verse number five? Well, we look in Matthew chapter 14:14, 14, 14 with this very story, and it tells us Jesus went forth, and he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with what? compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Then Mark tells us in chapter 6 verse 34, And Jesus, when he came out, he saw much people. And he was moved with what? Compassion toward them. Because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So two things happen in the transition of verse 4 to verse number 5. Is that Jesus taught them and he healed the physically sick. And this was fueled and motivated by compassion. Do you think that the man Jesus would have been physically tired or even maybe a little bit drained at this moment? I think he probably was. He has heard about John the Baptist, his cousin who had been beheaded. He has uh, had his disciples who have returned and have a lot to tell him. He has been ministering day in and day out. He has been very busy doing the work of his father... And he is at a moment where he wants to retreat and he needs to get away. But then as he comes out of that setting, he is compelled by the great multitude of people. And we're not talking about a group of a hundred. We're not talking about a manageable group of a thousand. We're talking about ten to 15,000 people that he would have seen in this multitude. Now, I remember the conference I went to back in March, and I remember being in a building with 10,000 people. And I remember just scanning the crowd, looking at this crowd, and even remember thinking we could be sitting on the hillside hearing Jesus getting, read to be, get, getting ready to be fed the five loaves and two fishes. And just thinking about the massive group that this would have been. So Jesus looks at this multitude instead of saying, guys, get back in the boat, let's go to the other side. Or instead of Jesus saying, there's a cave, I know there's one in the mountain, let's hide in the cave. Instead of running from the opportunity, Jesus looked to the crowd, and he was moved with compassion, as if they were sheep without a shepherd, as they were people who were in great need. And so Jesus began to teach them to talk with them, and to heal them. This all laid the ground groundwork for what was come, uh, what was coming next. It was pretty incredible. And that's what I want to look here in these next several moments. What does John's description of this story teach us about God making a big deal? Among, So many, here's what happens. In verse five and six, God knows the need and he will use us to accomplish his work. Now that's a very humbling thought in and of itself. This morning I was in Sunday school, Natalie and I were in Scott Boyd's class, table talk, and he even brought out a thought about just this this spirit of humility that God uses all of us. That he uses us to fulfill his work and to accomplish it for His glory. And we're reminded in verse 5 and 6 how Jesus is going to approach this because it was late in the day, and instead of sending the crowd home, Jesus looks to continue to provide for the crowd. He was going to provide for them physically with food in order to show them the spiritual need. So he was going to help them to see the deity of Christ while performing this amazing miracle. So Christ looks to his disciples to help accomplish this work. These men were his devoted students and followers. He looks to them to find some opportunities of ministry and service. They have experienced incredible grace in their own lives. They have witnessed some amazing miracles. And now what they're going to see is Jesus continue to be moved by compassion and do incredible works. Now in verse number five, Jesus asks Philip, did you see what he said? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now we know that Christ was not baffled by the scenario, nor was he uh, desperate to know a solution. Because the verse continues, this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. That word prove is the word test there. It was uh, an opportunity for Philip to be used in God's hand to accomplish his work. Now, before we throw Philip under the bus and think he failed, Philip is just walking through the normal process. He is going to come with a solution in just a moment. Now, I love the involvement that Christ looks for with his disciples in the area of ministry and serving people. So Jesus could have looked at the multitude, everybody could have been baffled by the scenario, and Jesus could have said, disciples, just scoot out out of the way. Let me show you what's going to be done. And with his words, he could have spoken the miracle into place and supplied for all the need that day. That's how Jesus could have done it. But Jesus used opportunity to take us and allow us or his disciples to be used in a special way to serve. Why Philip? Well, Philip had been familiar with the area since he was from Bethsaida, which would have been a town located in the part of the country. So he looks to Philip to say, hey, what's our solution? How do we get bread? What are we going to do here? And God takes the areas of our familiarity and uses them for his glory and service to others. Did you catch that? God takes our familiarities and uses them for his glory and to serve others. Now, we all have the things that we are familiar with. And, and those, uh, sometimes it's good, we're, we're good with working with children. Other times it's maybe you can handle the heat of the outside. Okay? And so maybe you're, you're able to do things on the outside that people have to do on the inside. Uh, maybe you work well with remodeling or repairing things. Maybe you are a hospitable person and you have a smile, just a natural smile and a natural warm greeting when people come up to you, even strangers. Maybe you enjoy being around people. Maybe you're a people person and it doesn't bother you that there are just a bunch of people around. Uh, Maybe you have a listening ear and a sympathetic heart. Uh, Maybe you can handle drama and intense moments. The church is always full of drama and intense moments, right? And so maybe you're good at that. Uh, Maybe your familiarity is, is you like to work behind the scenes. Or maybe there's some that are on the stage. Maybe there's some in a classroom. Some like to labor with their hands. Some like to labor with their minds. Some with their vision and others use their experience, So there's a lot of ways that God's people, God's church, God's servants that we plug in. And he wants to take our familiarities. He wants to take what we're familiar with. Philip, you're from this area. You're from Bethsaida. It's just around the corner. So what's our solution, Philip? He takes our familiarities and uses them for his glory and to serve other people. So sometimes we think, well, the things that I'm familiar with are not useful for God's work. Well, have you ever dedicated that to God and said, God, here's what I can do. How do you want to use it? Because sometimes the thing that you, uh, that you have, that you can offer to God is the very thing that's missing within his body and his church. It's the very thing that maybe somebody already has been praying about and hoping that somebody would step up. Somebody would take the mantle. Somebody would lead the charge. Somebody would cast the vision and somebody would say, this is is my passion. So God takes our familiarities and uses them for his glory and to serve others. And then verse 7 and 9, so after he approaches Philip, and Philip basically is going to be given the opportunity, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to test him, to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So then number two, man-made solutions are not always the best solutions. Because in verses 7 through 9, we're going to see that the areas that God can use us in, we have to be careful that we still seek Him for wisdom and guidance. You see, sometimes we say, well, I'll take my familiarity and I'll use it for His glory and to serve others. I'll take my passions, I'll take what I'm good at. And then we get going so fast that we forget about God's wisdom and God's leading. That's when sometimes, accidentally, we run people right over. We say the wrong thing at the wrong time. We lead the wrong charge. We do the wrong thing. We had good intentions and good heart. There have been a lot of times that I've, I have found myself in evaluation where I had good intentions, good heart, and good motivation, yet I didn't wait for God's wisdom and Holy Spirit leading. So sometimes man's solutions are not always the best solutions, especially when they come separated from God's wisdom and Holy Spirit leading. So here's what happened. In any situation of life and ministry, in any situation of bringing glory to God and serving others, we have to know what God wants and how he wants it done. Because the man-made solutions are not always best. And not realizing that Jesus intended what he intended by his question, Philip then basically says, not even eight months of wages could buy enough bread for everybody here just to have one bite. Well, there's the man-made solution, right? So Philip says, "Jesus, you asked the question. You asked for my familiarity. I'm from Bethsaida. I know the bread places, and I know what it costs. And I'm here to tell you right now that eight months of payments of wages will not even buy enough bread for everybody just to have a little bite. Not even a crouton. All right, a garlic butter crouton. Those are the better ones. You know, sometimes I, as I was studying this week, I thought, well, how does that relate?" And then I thought, wow, I know there's sometimes I do this too. Sometimes I w- find myself walking the property, and I look at the buildings, and I look at, at the age of the facilities, and I have said to God, God, it'll take more than 10 years of giving to fix this facility to be where it needs to be. You know what? Honestly, I've driven around South Lakeland, and I've seen a church on every corner, and I've said, God, there's enough churches in South Lakeland competing for this community that I wonder how you'll use Parkway to make an impact and difference. I've knocked on doors in this community and had conversations with people at their doors and I've walked away and I've said, it seems as if everybody is either a Christian or already goes to some other church. And I have thrown those excuses out. 10 years of giving. Too many churches in a community. Everybody's a Christian and goes to a church and God has to remind me, hey buddy, your solutions are not the best solutions he says i have a plan and god says this is my church and i will build my church and i will protect my church and i will let this church make an impact in this community if you will just continue to seek my wisdom and follow the holy spirit's leading and so church we take our familiarities and we say god we want them to be used for your glory And to serve others and whatever that may look like God will unfold in his timing and he will show it with his purpose and we must be willing not to respond as Philip responded but saying God just use me use me I don't know where how and when but just use me so what arguments do you have I have bared my soul this morning I've told you three excuses that I come to grips with that I throw to God, but what arguments do you have with yourself about the solutions that you see missing the mark? Some of you have thrown in the towel on your marriage and you've said, it's not what I thought it would be, and you are just steps away from giving up. Oh, maybe you haven't pursued a divorce, but you're just two individuals living under the same roof. You can't get along, you can't laugh together, smile together. All you're good at doing is arguing and complaining together. And the reality is, as your solution says this isn't what I thought it would be. I'll give up and I'll just live my life out the way it is. That's your man-made solution that needs to take and seek out for God's wisdom and Holy Spirit leading. Some may say, my job is is far from ideal. This is not what I want to do. This is not what I'm going to do. And I'm looking for what is next. God, you can't use this to build me. You can't use this to strengthen me. And so I'm just going to grin and bear it. And I hope I can make it through each and every day. That's taking man's solutions and saying, God, your way is not best. And then we say our kids are a mess and we don't know where to turn. We say our finances are crumbling and our foundation doesn't even exist. We say our health is in question and doubtful and it will not get better from here. We have all of these things that we want our ideal solution because it makes sense when we put God in our little box and the answers start to unravel the way we want the script to be written. But God says, that's not where I want the bread to come from. I don't want eight months of wages to buy enough croutons for everybody just to have one. He says, my solution is going to bring big things to your life today. And that's how it begins to unravel from there. Because in verse 7, Philip says, too big of a task. It will take forever to make this happen. Verse 8 and 9, Andrew shows up with something in his hands and he says, but what are they among so many? Can you imagine Andrew showing up with the boy's lunch? He probably brought the lad with him. Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate this. Now listen, the guys around me, they're going to laugh at this, but don't worry, all right? Don't, don't let that hurt your feelings. This is a really nice gift. Uh, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus, um, this lad, he, he's offered his five barley loaves. Barley loaves would have been the poor man's bread. Uh, five barley loaves and, and two fishes. Um, <laughs> but honestly, guys, quit laughing. Uh, honestly, Jesus, what is this? What is this among so, so many? Man-made solution yet again. We think Philip, he's a, he's a man of reason. Eight months of wages to buy a crouton. Andrew, he, he's doing his best. He's, he's at least shown something. But he comes and says, what is this among so many? Notice verse number nine. An unlikely source is the lad and an unlikely resource is the five loaves and two fishes. You know, man-made solutions were not looking good that day. You ever wonder what kind of may have happened when the disciples saw Andrew come? You ever wonder maybe how they responded to the request of the five loaves and two fishes? Now, remember, this group of men, grown men, they've been out in the hot sun all afternoon. They're tired from a missionary journey. Now they're having to minister to people because Jesus is compelled by compassion, so the disciples are right there with him. They are probably hungry, and we know hungry and tired don't go well together for men, What do they call that, hangry, right? Snickers has come up with a a hangry term. So they're probably pretty hangry right now. They're probably saying, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hangry. They say, come on, Philip, we don't have this kind of time. You got anything better as a solution? Seriously, Andrew, you had us going for a minute when you said you had food in your hands. But five loaves and two fishes, is that the best you've got? So then notice what here, these man-made solutions are not always the best until we see number three And that's God will take our small and use it for the big. Because in verses 10 through 14, Jesus is about to answer the question, but what are they among so many? The magnitude of what Jesus was about to do is laid out in verses 10 and 11. You notice in verse number 10, there's a a use of the word men here twice. The first time Jesus said, make the men sit down. That in the Greek is actually a different word for the men that is used later in verse number 10. This men would have been all people. This would have been men, women, boys, and girls. It's anthropos here. And he told all of them to sit down on the grass. And then the second use of men in verse number 10 is the Greek word for adult male. It's a near as we are told that there were 5,000 of these adult males And so the crowd that day could have easily doubled in that size, 10, 15,000 people. And Jesus is going to take this insignificant lunch and use it for a big deal. Look at verse number 11. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. Now the Gospel of Luke tells us that they separated the groups into 50s and 100s, manageable groups for the disciples to be able to serve. And then likewise of the fishes as they would or as they wanted them. So Jesus very well could have, might have prayed a Jewish, a traditional Jewish prayer as he would have given thanks for this bread. It's been recorded all through history. No proof says that this is the prayer he prayed. But if he had prayed the traditional Jewish prayer of bread, he would have said, Blessed be thou, Yahweh our God, King of the world who causes bread to come forth from the earth. And Jesus used his disciples, his followers, to serve and fulfill the pieces of the miracle. By the way, disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, when was the last time you were used by God to fulfill as a piece of a miracle? When were you used by God to fulfill his work and to fulfill his purpose? When did you experience a God moment that could only be defined as something that came from God? You know, you think about Right before their very eyes, these disciples, right before their eyes and right through their very hands, they were going to experience the miracle of God, taking the insignificant and using it for something greater. So what is your insignificant today? Is it your abilities? You think you have limitations? Is it your passion that you think is insignificant? Is it your resources Is it your energy, your experience, your leadership, your service? Is it your involvement, your participation? Is it your support? Is it your prayers? What is it in your life that is your insignificant? Because it's wrapped up into your own life, but it's your insignificant that God wants to make a big deal. The property advancement commitment cards that we are participating with today is one of those very insignificant things in the light of eternity When we think about what God wants to accomplish through a building process or a building project, we know that in eternity this building won't exist. In 15, 20 years, somebody else is going to want to remodel. In about 30 years, the building may crumble. In 40 years, hopefully we'll be raptured by then and something else is going on here on earth. Amen. Maybe four years, right? Who knows? But when we look at these things, we say that in the light of eternity, it may be insignificant. But we also say that my insignificant participation today can be something that God collectively puts together to make a really big deal. We're not excited to present a new lobby with new restrooms, a new entryway with a new stucco building with fresh coat of paint. We're not excited about spotlighting a facility. But what we want is for people to see a ministry that does things to the best of their ability to honor God, but then just a tool that is used to love people and share the love of Jesus with them. That's our goal. That's our vision. And if you're struggling with buying into that, I'd love to have a conversation with you. If we can't take 37% of the church body uh, participating in the Property Advancement Project to a higher number of 50, 60, 75%, then that means we have to just talk so you can hear the heart and vision behind it. Because God wants to use Parkway to make a difference. So how will he take that? How about plugging into God's ministry? Get off the pew, get plugged in, get a connection group, find a ministry team, be used to do God's glory and to serve others. Sir, ma'am, by the way, do you remember that that's why we're given the spiritual gifts? It's not so that we feel special or we feel accomplished or we feel like we're fulfilling something. That's not why we serve the local church. Why God has gifted us is so that we might do it for his glory and then to serve serve each other and if you're not doing that if you're not taking what you're gifted with what it is that you have the abilities to do if you're not using that for god's glory and to serve others you're a dysfunctional part of the body of christ because you are holding on to something selfishly and saying i will not give it i won't give my time my energy my resources I won't give my insight, my vision, or my passion. I won't give any part of who I am. I'll sit in a pew, and I'll partake as the church, but then I'll scoot out and scoot back in. I'll complain about the bumps and the speed bumps. I hate that speed bump. Uh, We'll complain about some of the things that have happened. We'll find reasons to voice our opinion. We'll even have the audacity to vote no. But then the reality is, is we're not plugged in. We're not being an effective part of God's work. So God will use our small, and he'll make it big. But not if we're going to hoard it. Not if we're going to sit on it. And not if we'll have the audacity to be selfish with it. You see, verse number 12 tells us that they, they had all that they needed and all that they wanted. Why? Because of a resource. As an unknown little boy called the lad... And the lad came, not holding on to it. He probably thought back, mom sent me with this lunch today. And I kind of was like, oh, do I have to carry all this bread and fishes? What am I going to do with it? He's probably thinking about all his complaints to carrying it. But he said, you know what? Now I see why God equipped me so that I could use it for something greater. That little lad gave of everything he had so that Jesus could make something big. Verse 13 tells us that Jesus told them to collect the remaining food and they gathered 12 large baskets full. That's, that's incredible in itself. He fed 15,000 people with enough food, the Bible tells us, to, to all that they wanted. So they were full. And then they, kept, they took all the remaining and they came up with 12 baskets full. The question for us is do you want to see God do a big deal in your life? And if you want to see God do a big deal in your life, then allow him to take your small, your insignificant, and see what he does with it. Verse number 14 concludes it. And he says, Then those men, these aren't the twelve, these aren't just the five thousand, these are the people. The people who experienced God taking the small and making a big deal. When they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, They said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come, that we have expected to come into the world. The people were so amazed that they wanted to make him their king. Proving, as the Gospel of John does, all throughout his writings, John gives the opportunity for the reader to see the deity of Christ being lived out through his words and actions. The deity of Christ, God in man form, that Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, this union is here, and Jesus is fulfilling that right before the very eyes. Now, we'd love to think that 15,000 people trusted in Jesus as their Messiah and Savior that day, but even after a miracle like this, people were still confused. They were still blinded by the devil but Jesus was going to use this as an opportunity for people to begin to see him as the Messiah. In verse 15, which we're not going to study, Jesus therefore perceived, he understood that they would come and take him by force to make him their king. So he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Proverbs 15:16 tells us, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. The practical lesson is clear, as you see in your notes, that Warren Wearsby puts it all kind of to a concluding thought for us. He said, the practical lesson is clear. Whenever there is a need, give all that you have to Jesus and let him do the rest. We need to begin with what we have, but be sure you will give it all to him. You see, this little lad is to be commended for sharing his lunch with Jesus and his mother to be commended for giving him something to give to Jesus. The gift of that little snack meant that Jesus could take the insignificant and he could make it a big deal, even among so many. So the question for all of us today is, are you next? Are you willing to say, God, among so much? Among so many? Yes. Take my small, take my insignificant, and use it to make a big deal. Father, thank you for teaching us today from your text what is so vitally important for us to be reminded of. So, Father, in these closing moments, I would pray that you would work in our hearts as your church and as your people. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to pay the price and to be the ransom for many. I thank you that by the shedding of his blood, there is the forgiveness of sins. I thank you for loving the world and all mankind so much that you freely gave your son's life for us. And I thank you for the victory we can have in him as he came back to life with victory over the death and the grave and over sin. But Lord, we walk as living examples of your grace. And we thank you for that salvation story and the salvation testimony. But what are we doing with our life? What do we take with our insignificant? How do we evaluate our man-made solutions? Where does that leave us today? I have no doubt there is a a broad spectrum of people in this room, young and old, and, and we have doubts and worries in our mind. Some are still trying to come to the grips with participating. Others are coming to the grips with how do I participate? So Lord, wherever we are, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would prompt, convict, and challenge and change us today. I pray that all of us as followers of you would be active in taking steps of growth. That today we would not just be a hearer of the word, but that we would practically put it into motion and be an actor in action of what we have heard. So God, use these moments of reflection and application in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, sir or ma'am, would you just take a time, take some time to talk to God. Whatever it is throughout this message that he has prompted in your heart. Oh, I've been convicted about my man-made solutions. Maybe you have as well. I know there's like a time in my life where I look at my ministry, my who I am, my leadership style, and I think about the insignificant, the small. And maybe you are too. So what does God want to do with that? So would you humble yourself before him today? Would you approach him today with just open heart, open eyes, open attitude to say, God, here it is. Help me. Teach me. Work in me. I want to give you just a moment. I'm going to be quiet and let God work in your heart and you talk to him in these moments of quiet. If you're able, would you please stand with me? If you're still talking to God, don't be disturbed. Take your time. Keep your seat. Kneel there. Do what you need to. But if you're able, would you please stand with me? Now all across this room, Christians have dealt with God. They've talked with God. They are ready to be moved and they're prompted by the Holy Spirit's work. And so Christians, I want to ask you to just pray for this moment that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, God would draw them to himself, Holy Spirit would convict their heart and they would see their need of Jesus in their life. Sir or ma'am, if you're here today, I would be ashamed to close our services together without giving an invitation for you to meet my friend named Jesus. Jesus will transform and change your life. Jesus will bring newness to your life. It's not a, a magic potion that makes all things better, but within your heart and spirit, You'll be afresh and anew. And Jesus promises to walk beside you, to help you, to give you wisdom and direction. And so if your life is void of hope, it's empty of Jesus. And Today I want to invite you to make that decision. So if you're here today, sir or ma'am, and there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I just pray for you in a very general way? Would you be willing just to raise your hand and to look at me and say, Peter, that's me today. I don't know if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. I don't have biblical proof or evidence. I know nothing in my heart of why I should go to heaven. And I just want you to pray for me today. Is there anybody like that? You'd say, Peter, that's me. I'm willing to admit to that. I'm willing to raise my hand and ask for you to pray for me. And uh, that's me today. Anybody like that at all? I don't know if I die today, take my last breath, young or old, that Jesus is my savior and I would go to heaven. Anybody like that? One last time as I scan the crowd. Anybody else? Father, thank you so much for working in our hearts today. Please conclude our time together to be a moment where we reflect and we're changed because of your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated.